What's going on, everybody? It's your boy B Date. Uh, just introing a very fun podcast that Adam, uh, myself, and our our good friend Bailey did uh, on the Dallas Mavericks. It was a little bit of a deep dive. Uh, just one team covered in this one, but it was a lot of fun. We got to talk about the three guard lineups that the Mavs have been employing on their really hot stretch um, since the Porzingis trade. Um, we hit a lot about Spencer Dinwiddie. And uh, just a side note, this was recorded Saturday, so it was before the Celtics game that they ended up pulling out with Dinwiddie hitting the game-winning three. It was all very fitting. Uh, Brunson, I thought, played okay. Luka was Luka. And um, a lot of the things that we talked about kind of came to fruition in the game. So it was really cool to see that. And, um, yeah, man, we talked the three-guard lineups, obviously. We talked about some of the playoff things that uh, Bailey's looking for as a fan of the team. And also really just um, how far we think they can go. Do we think this team is a team who, if things break right, maybe could make the finals? Um, And all of the sort of little X's and O's stuff in between. Uh, It was a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did recording it. Um, I can speak for Adam and Bailey as well, saying that they had a good time um, with this one. So without any further ado, man, let's drop you right into our deep dive on the Dallas Mavericks uh, with Adam and Bailey. Thank you all so much. What's going on, everybody? B-Date back for another podcast episode. Um, as usual, I'm joined by Adam. Adam, what's going on, man? What's going on, man? How you doing today? Good, good, bro. And uh, like I covered in the intro, today we're going to be deep diving the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, for those of you guys watching the uh, visual feed, I got my Luca jersey on right here. Um, and we thought there'd be no one better to do this with than uh, the biggest Mavs fan I know, one of the guys who looks a little bit more past the stats and stuff and can really dive into some lineups, some X's and O's and things of that nature. Uh, brought my good friend Bailey Barton on. Bailey, what's going on, man? What's up, man? All right. So uh, me and Adam, we're, we're going to kind of go back and forth with you, kind of feed you some questions, kind of get how you're, you're feeling as a guy who watches the Mavs a lot more than we do. Um, first, I'm, I want to lay out the vital signs for the team. Uh, 41 and 26 as of Saturday night. This is ahead of a uh, Sunday matinee game against the Celtics. Um, we are recording this after they beat the, the Rockets. Um, 17th in offensive rating, 6th in defensive rating, which we'll talk about. 8th uh, overall in net rating. And 5th lowest turnover percentage in the league at uh, 13%. 9-3 uh, in their last 12 games, which is since the Chris Dapps trade. Um, Adam, I guess we'll start it off with you, man. Go ahead and get into it, and, and we'll see where this thing goes. Yeah, man, so I, I think the first thing we've got to talk about here is the Mavs defense. Um, you, you mentioned – you said they're, they're sixth in defensive rating. Uh, I saw it listed at six, but they're actually tied for fifth um, with the, the heat, I think it was, that was ahead of them. Um, teams don't shoot the three ball well against them. They are tied for the lowest three-point percentage. Uh, or I'm sorry, tied for the third lowest three-point percentage against them. Um, they give up the least amount of threes of any team in the league. 
they're only kind of middle of the pack in, in normal field goal percentage, but as a whole, this produces a very good defense. And I wanted to ask Bailey about how they achieve this task when you look at the roster and you only see Dodo as like the sole guy on the team that you think of as a good defender. Yeah, so I think the biggest part of this, the I guess the uptick from last year's def- defending to this year's defending is uh, when you look at a lineup, especially sometimes when we're able to roll lineups out there that doesn't include Brunson, your smallest dude on the floor is 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, mm-hmm. So uh, I think that definitely helps a lot. Um, we don't necessarily have that big interior presence that you would like to have, like a seven-footer. I think our tallest defender is Dwight Powell at 6'10". But um, when your point guard is 6'8", and your shooting guard is 6'8", and your small forward 6'8", that makes up those inches that you miss without having a seven-foot post defender. And then secondly, I think it's – I'm going to give credit to Jason Kidd here and not – and part X's and O's, part something else. So he's publicly said that a lot of his defense comes from Frank Vogel and what he learned under Frank Vogel at the Lakers. And uh, I think that itself has been made a big impact on why the defense is better. But I think, secondly, the players just like Jason Kidd. And they want to do things that they didn't do for Rick Carlisle for Jason Kidd. They want to push that extra 10% that they didn't for Rick Carlisle because they want Jason Kidd to be impressed with them and they want to impress Jason Kidd. Where Rick Carlisle, they just knew it was probably going to be a stern look either way. Yeah, that's a good point, man. And uh, me and Adam, we both went to the, was it the Hawks? The Hawks game uh, a few weeks back. And, and to Adam's point, like you look on paper and you just go out there and look of the perception of what you have in the league. And you don't think of Reggie Bullock as a lockdown guy. He's a very good defender. You don't look at him as a guy who can hold Trey Young to like 12 points or whatever you had that night. You don't look at him as a guy you can leave on an island and say he'll do fine um, against the other team's best player. And, and yeah, I, I agree with you, Bailey. I like to give some credit to Jason Kidd. Um, you mentioned the buy-in that they have this year that they quite didn't all the way get there with, with Rick Carlisle. I also think part of it is, is his personality as a player is kind of starting to rub off on, on a, specifically Luca a little bit. I think you're starting to see uh, Luca take a little bit more responsibility on that end. And whenever your best player buys in, as we all know, it makes it a lot easier for you to kind of get your way in and, and dictate your system to the rest of the team. Yeah, very yeah, true. Sure. Um, it's uh, like they always say, it starts from the top down. And if it like if you're a star player, your guy that we would normally as fans give Luca a pass for the most part, if he doesn't want to play every single possession defensively because he does so much offensively. If he still shows up and tries to, tries his best as he can every single defensive possession, then what who is to say? How can Reggie Bullock say he can't go every possession or Maxi Cleaver or even? Josh Green, guys like that, guys that still are trying to prove themselves mm-hmm. when a proven guy is showing that he'll still get his nose dirty, I guess. So so you touched on uh, – we started on the defense uh, with Adam's question. My question is somewhat related, um, but it, it kind of goes to a different thing. Uh, so I mentioned a few of the stats in the beginning. Uh, another stat that kind of caught my eyes as I was doing my research is Dallas is uh, last in the NBA in pace at about 99. Um, and part of me thought, you know, that's not a big deal. I understand it. You know, Lucas is a very 
LeBron type of guy, Harden and Houston type of guy where I want to control every possession, get guys in the right spots and then play my little pick and roll game. Um, but do you think, A, do you think that's had a hand in the defense and the fact that there's less possessions that they have to guard? And then B, uh, looking bigger picture, do you think that the slow pace um, of the team is going to be a benefit going in toward the playoffs? Or do you think that could be actually a detriment? Um, to touch on the playoff thing first, I think it's going to be a benefit, um, especially when I don't know the exact like points per possession, but I do know I do know that we are a top tier team when it comes to that stat. Um, so if you're telling me that every possession down we're getting roughly a point or so, I think it's a little over a point last time that I checked, like one point one or something like that. Um, I don't necessarily think that we need a million possessions as long as we continue to have good possessions and that number can stay at one point one or whatever it is. That's the recipe to winning playoffs because we know when it comes to playoffs times, your scores go from like 120 to 111 to 104 to 97. So there's already going to be a, a tougher defensive game plan and mindset from other teams. So instead of trying to speed up and maybe getting reckless and taking those, I think you may have just touched on it. It's like we're averaging like five turnovers a game. So instead of having the five or seven turnovers a game, it is and moving that to like eight, we can just stay at the five or seven and continue to beat teams with legitimate offensive possessions every time down. Adam, what do you think from the outside looking in, man? Because I know just looking a couple of years back when we were able to win the title, a lot of the criticism was the game's going to slow down for us. You know, we, we were a team that was very reliant and transitioned the Lakers. Um, and we were able to kind of impose our will on that playoffs and still sort of play at that tempo. Um, do you think that it, it's any of a hindrance or do you agree with Bailey and the fact that like, hey, you're used to playing slow. The playoffs is a slow game. So we're just doing more of what we're good at. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel um, is that things do slow down in the playoffs and it becomes so much more important to be able to get buckets in the half court set. I mean, yeah, if you're the Lakers and you can still get out and run, you want to take care of those advantages every time that you can. But the playoffs is a slower, more grinded out style of basketball. And I think it, it is nice. It is a uh, advantage to be accustomed to playing that way. And I do think that slow pace is part of what helps them play better defense without having a necessarily defensive leaning roster because that slow pace allows them to get set and, and be ready to play their defense the way they want to play it, not have to try to defend in transition or even in semi-transition where you end up with matchups that you don't like. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and I had heard a uh, – I had heard, sorry to cut you off there. I had heard a uh, – um, somebody was saying a quote. It was on one of those, like, Mavs podcasts that I listened to, and they said that the way that the offense is working now, it's kind of like a death by a million, like, paper cuts type thing. Cause like we're come down and we're getting two points, two points, two points. And if we stop you once now you're down four points and then we trade buckets and then we keep scoring and we stop you one more time. Now you're down six points. And then all of a sudden you, the reason that we feel like that is like the Mavs fan base and Mavs Twitter. Um, we feel like the three pointers are shot so poorly against us is because a lot of times people are just having to take those because they feel like that's what they need to get back into the game. They take early ones. They don't necessarily take the best ones. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, man. Uh, Adam, I know you had a question about the, uh, 
the uh, three guard lineups. Um, so go ahead and get into that because I, I'm fascinated in this question. As I mentioned, nine and three in their last 12, which coincides um, with the time they acquired Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans from the Washington Wizards. Um, and obviously this question is is loaded on the focusing on Spencer part. So go ahead and get into that. Yeah, man, this is the most interesting thing about them post Porzingis trade to me. Um, and, and admittedly, I've only actually got to sit down and watch them play start to finish once since the trade, plus a couple little uh, bits and moments here and there. But um, those three guard lineups are, are just fascinating where you get uh, Dan Witte, Brunson, and Luca all in there, and it doesn't have to be so Luca-centric. There are other guys that can run the offense. There are other guys like Dinwiddie who can go get buckets himself. His numbers have skyrocketed compared to what he was doing in Washington since coming to Dallas. He's scoring 17 and a half points a game, which is five points ahead of where he was in Washington. His uh, field goal percentage has jumped from 37.6 to 52.6, a 15% jump in field goal percentage. And we've seen that on the three-point percentage as well, which is up to 43 and a half from 31 in Washington. Um Four and a half Bailey, what are, Bailey, what are you seeing with how they've unlocked these three guard lineups and, and what it's doing for Dallas? Yeah. So if you go back the last two playoff runs, um, we've obviously ran into a team that matches up with us exceptionally well. And with that being the Clippers and you've seen Luca have big games, 30 point triple doubles, 40 point triple doubles, and it still doesn't seem to be enough. And as Mavs, like the organization felt like, and they made it clear to the public was they felt like they needed that secondary guy to where Luca can play some off the ball. They didn't want this to become what Harden was in Houston. And uh, what they base it off of, and I think they did a good job, was that Chris Paul team, the team that if he doesn't hurt his hamstring, maybe they do end up making it to the finals. And uh, with moving in Brunson to the starting lineup, and then he flourished more than anybody could even imagine. And then, like you said, once we brought in Spencer Dinwiddie, it just became three guards at, at any point in time. And I, I didn't watch Spencer Dinwiddie a, a lot. Um, I still beat it, can attest to this. I was a huge, like, Spencer Dinwiddie guy. I wanted him to on the Mavericks, even in free agency. Um, and what I didn't realize is how much he likes going north and south and how much he wants to get to the basket as well. And uh, that, that's just like you said, it's unlocked us. And it's allowed Luca for the most part, and don't get it wrong, he still has his eight or nine possessions a game where nobody else is touching the ball. He brings it down, he gets the switch, and he does his thing. He still does that by all means. But it's allowed Luca at some point to just go hang out in the corner and then catch a guy on a rotation and try to attack off of that. And I think that's unlocked his game. And really, at the beginning of the year, when he wasn't playing super well, his usage rate was super high. Now he's a lot of Mavericks fans feel like he should be in the MVP race. It's because of these two guard, three guard lineups allowing him to work off the ball a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I want to dive in on, on this question a lot because I feel like this is going to be the premise of your team, not only this this postseason run, but moving forward, uh, obviously making the trade and, and hopefully re-signing Brunson uh, this offseason. So I have some numbers here. We'll start with Dinwiddie since he was the, the guy who got brought in. As Adam mentioned, 40, 43.5% from three, four and a half attempts. So it's a good volume there. Um, the thing that really impressed me, and I watched the game against Golden State where they came to Dallas, um, I was very impressed at his ability to hit tough twos. Um, in that game, they were really trying to isolate Steph on these switches. 
Um, whenever Steph's hedging out at Luca and recovering back to Dinwiddie, his ability to make a quick decision and get to the, put the spot on the floor he wants to get to, as you mentioned, going north and south. But even shooting those mid-range jumpers, I have it here, 58% on twos uh, since he's become a Maverick. And the thing that I didn't know about his game was his catch and shoot prowess being very good. Um, 62% on corner threes since becoming a Dallas Maverick. And obviously that's essential if you're going to play with the guys ball dominant as Luca can be at times. Um, and Brunson as well, like the ability, the thing that I always stress in terms of like playoffs equity, I guess you could say is how, how much variety can you have as an offense? And like you mentioned in those Clipper series, there was a few times where it felt like, man, we can't even get Luca to post up because we don't trust anyone to dribble the ball and then pass it to Luca. You know what I mean? And now or he'd, we'd have those, he'd take those two minute breaks and we'd be, we'd go immediately on like a 16, two run there. They would go on a 16, two run against us in two minutes. Yeah. And now it just feels like there's more ways to where teams trapping Luca and getting them out of the game. No problem. I'll just make the short roll pass to whoever swing it to the second side of the court. And now we have Jalen Brunson or Spencer Dinwiddie against a closing out guy who's probably going to lose that matchup more times than not. Um, so, yeah, man, just touch a little bit more on, I guess, Brunson now. Uh, you talked about Dinwiddie quite a bit. Like, I've just been so impressed with his pace, his tempo, and his ability to kind of not defer. You know what I mean? I think that's also important uh, to where when you have a guy as dominant and as superstar uh, that Luca is, it, it can be hard sometimes to not just say, hey, Luca, save us. Um, so kind of that defiance, I guess you could say, um, has been important for the Mavs as well. Yeah, so – the thing with Brunson that sometimes people forget or they get stuck on is that he was a second round pick, but this guy did win two collegiate national championships. He was the best player on one of them. And uh, he played for a university that quite frankly has produced quite a bit of NBA players and has a, dare I say an NBA caliber coach in Jay Wright and that being Villanova. And uh, this dude has, yeah. this dude has been the dude on all of the teams he's ever played on in his life for the most part. So this is probably uncharted territory not being the dude on a team and uh as we all know i mean we play basketball a lot if you're a if you even think you're a halfway decent basketball player for the most part your mindset going into every game is i'm the best player on the floor and i'm going to show everybody that i'm the best player on the floor and brunson doesn't like that in any sense and i think that's what's made him take that such a big step forward in his game is he's probably always thought it but one thing about Rick Carlisle, and it feels like I'm just bashing him, but really he was in some ways hurtful, detrimental to the team. He was always super tough on guards. Mm-hmm. Him and Rondo butted heads when they got here. He basically just was done with Dennis Smith Jr., had nothing to do with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's super hard on guards, and that's why I think Brunson never really wanted to step out into more of this uh, like, as we would say, like into deeper into his bag where he's doing more of like the shifty stuff and the uh, the term that we use like in Mavs Twitter is like the herky jerky. He's not really smooth with anything he does, but he's real like jerky, real shifty. Starts and stops. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, under Rick Carlisle, he was real quick on like if you did something like that and, and you missed you, you were probably coming out. Mm-hmm. And under Jason Kidd, I think um, he's given him the freedom to say, hey, look, man, go make some mistakes. 
Okay. Cause like, that's the only way you really truly can get better is by making some mistakes and learning what you can do and what you can't do. It's just like on any video game you ever do, like people think you can just put a player out on the floor and they're going to progress because he's went from 24 years old to 25 years old. Well, you don't progress unless you actually try and do something. And I think him actually this year, at the beginning of the year when he wasn't super great, and then Luca was out for COVID for however many games, and then his injury that he had for how many games, um, it allowed us to just hand the reins to Brunson, and he progressed in that short period of time, and now this is who he is. And then the second point to that is uh, this guy did come out of college as a senior. I mean, he is, what, 23, 24 years old already now? Like, he is getting to the point where even though he's only been in the league, what, three years, four years now, um, he has got a veteran's mindset in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, so to, to dive a little deeper, we, we're talking about the three-guard lineups. My, question, my next question for you is, how do you see in a playoff series that – that five-man lineup filling out, right? So obviously we've talked about a lot about Luca, Brunson, and uh, Dinwiddie. How, how do you see the uh, four and five positions, I guess, filling out for in your in your best closing five type of lineup? Is it those three guards plus two? Is it maybe taking a guard out um, in a specific matchup and then maybe playing Dwight Powell and two wings? Like, where, where is your head at in terms of, I know this is a tough question because we don't know the matchups yet, but just in a general sense, what would your favorite favorite five be in a, in a real, real quick, hold on to that question. I think Adam, I saw him like make a little motion, like had something to say about the Brunson thing. Did you have something Adam? I, I just wanted to throw in that. I think it's also been good for his confidence that he's been moved into the starting lineup for much of the year. Um, last year, he exclusively came off the bench. This year, he's played in 64 of the Mavs, 67 games, and he has started 46 of those. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we kind of mentioned him being able to, you know, not not be worried that Carlisle's about to pull him every second. He's also been inserted into the starting lineup, and I think that has helped him have that confidence to just go do what he does. Yeah, and see, that was to, to, to real quick touch on that, and then I'll get into B-Date's question. Um, that was one thing that we struggled with early in the year was when Tim Hardaway Jr. was healthy and making the money that Tim Hardaway Jr. was making, we almost felt obligated to put him in the starting lineup. Mm. And uh, um, it was like maybe right – I think it's right at that Luca injury time when he had to start – we had to start in Luca's place that quickly the Mavs coaching staff, the front office, and I, we mean little, but Mavs Twitter as well, noticed that – Brunson really is better starting next to Luca than Tim Hardaway Jr. was. And Tim Hardaway Jr. is a better six man than Brunson is as well. Brunson's more of a facilitator. will get his buckets when he can, but he likes to get everybody else going where Tim Hardaway Jr., if he can see the rim, it's probably going up. And that's more what you want out of your six man mm-hmm. than a facilitator. And then as far as like the, the or so you wanted me to name a closing five or a best five? Uh, if, if, if they're different, you can do, um, you can do either. I, I, the question was just basically in a general sense, what do you feel your best five is, um, that would potentially close a playoff game? Uh, I think there's probably three locks Mm -hmm. and that's Luca Brunson, Finney Smith. I feel like no matter how well or bad they're playing that game, they're going to be on the floor no matter what. 
Um, I think Spencer Dinwiddie is like inching his way towards that status, um, but being new and it's not really developing with this team because most of these guys have all been on the team together. When you think of Brunson, Luca, Dorian, Finney Smith, they've all been here together. They're still a little more, they're so closer, I guess, with each other than Dinwiddie would be just being traded midseason. Um, and that has a big part to do with that. I feel like at least you want to close games with people you trust, people you're close with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I think Dinwiddie's there. And man, two months ago, you'd have never thought I'd say this. I think Dwight Powell has played his way into a closing lineup spot. Um, He's just everything that this team needs. So you mentioned how you need to be able to be – I can't remember the exact word you used, but you need to have different ways to attack a defense. You can't just watch Luka dribble the air out of the ball and then take a 30-foot step-back jumper. Um, So then – so the Mavs went out. They've got floor spacing. I'm not saying Dorian Finney-Smith is Clay Thompson, but he's, a, I would say, an above-average corner three-point shooter. He's developed some more above-the-break stuff, but he's really good in the corner. Um, they went and added Reggie Bullock, who's been about as roller coaster as a player can be this year, but in the grand scheme of things, was like a, what, 42% shooter last year for the Knicks? Like, that's a very good three-point shooter. Um, you bring in Davis Bertans in the trade, a guy that we've seen in his Shooting days can absolutely take over games as much as a shooter can take over a game. And then you have Brunson, that secondary playmaker, and Dinwiddie is a secondary or even tertiary playmaker who attacks from the perimeter in. So the only thing we're really missing is a guy who can cut and dive through the defense and make them react to that. And Dwight Powell has just absolutely flourished in that role. Um, What's even helped him, I think, is the KP trade because one now there is no other backup big man. I mean, Maxi Kleber is, I guess his backup, but he's more of a four than a five. And uh, when you have Luca and three shooters and Dwight Powell, you cannot tag off your shooters to take away Dwight Powell because Luca has proven time and time again, he will hit that guy. So basically people, a lot of defenders, if you, the, I watch a little more Mavs games than y'all do, right? A lot of times defenders think that they're going to bait Luca into that pass. So they'll like fake tag on Dwight and immediately jump out to the corner. And Luca being 6'8 and being two steps ahead of everybody just goes and throws a lob anyways. He's like, even if you tag, you've got to jump with my guy. You're already behind him. There's just too many variables. And I think that's why, and the Rockets game is a good example. You talk about coming off of that game last night, where if you're not there early, you're late. There is no on time when you're trying to play pick and roll defense. You're either early or you're late. And a lot of times the finish think they can be a step ahead and they end up being a step late. Adam, outside outsider's view, um, obviously we've only watched a few games of the new the new Mavs, but uh, where, where would you go? I, I actually like what he came up with as well. Um, I, I do think Brunson, Luca, and Dodo are – as close to his locks as it can be, maybe Brunton's a little more matchup dependent than those other two guys. But on the whole, he is one of the best players on the team. So a guy you'd expect to be on the floor at the end. I, I also think Dinwiddie is playing his way into that role. And, you know, the, the versatility that those three guard lineups offer. And, and then really what he's talking about with the, uh, the pick and roll stuff with Dwight Powell. is Dwight Powell gives them that element of vertical spacing that nobody else on this team can offer. So... 
that just gives you one more way to beat guys like you talked about earlier. So I, I would tend to agree that that would be the five I think I'd close with most of the time, you know, a little bit stuff can change here and there based on matchup. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I agree with you guys. I, I went and looked at some lineup data. Um, so their best three performing lineups since the trade, um, all three of them include these three players, Luca, Dinwiddie and Brunson. Not really a shock there. Um, and then the, the next guy who was included in two of the three was Reggie Bullock. And then the last guy was Dorian. And I was thinking about that as a lineup for like a specific matchup. Let's say you run into like, I don't know, Utah and you're trying to scheme Rudy Gobert off the court, maybe. Maybe you have Dodo go as your five. You have Bullock, Dinwiddie, Brunson, and Luca. Those guys can all sort of switch everything against the Jazz in particular, where they don't have a big wing that you're really afraid of. You know what I mean? As good as uh, Bogdanovich is, he's not, if he's going to post up Jalen Brunson, I think the Mavs will take that as an outcome uh, defensively. Um, and then on the offensive side, you throw Dorian Finney Smith in the corner and you say, hey, tonight's going to be your Terrence Mann game where you bomb nine threes and, and, and you make Rudy Gobert have to think twice about leaving off of you. Um, you have Brunson and Dinwiddie who can break down their individual matchups against a not so great perimeter defensive team in Utah. Um, and then obviously Luca is going to be Luca and then Bullock is that other spacer. Did you guys think that has any validity to it or do you think it's a little too small, might get pounded on the glass? Um, I think because that, that could very well be our four or five matchup at the moment. I think it, um, it has potential very specifically in that matchup and trying to play Gobert off the floor because we've seen these five out lineups run Rudy, Rudy Gobert out of the playoffs year in and year out over the last few seasons. See, to me, um, it's maybe if it's a lineup, that's like a in-game type lineup. And when I say in-game, I mean like we run them like with the team that I coach. We have offensive lineups, defensive lineups. That may be one of those offensive lineups where we run in, there's a dead ball. We can sub, sub those five guys in. And then as soon as the shot goes up, whatever it is, somebody's checking back in to give us a big man because – We've played the Jazz two times here, I think, in the last 20 days or so. Yeah. And uh, one game, Gobert absolutely was the difference in the game. He had like 18 boards, probably, I think it was like 16 points, five blocks. Like, as much as we would like to say we could play him off the floor, I think that would be one of the – we would be the one team that we probably couldn't play him off the floor – because when you look at those five out lineups that have taken Rudy Gobert out, it's been a quick shifty guard that he's having, like Steph Curry, for example, he's having to defend where Luca isn't necessarily that. And Luca gets off uh, a lot of times, Luca's ISO buckets are he's either taller than his defender or stronger than his defender. And this is the one matchup where he isn't either one of those. Hmm. And uh, so I think that would be tough. And then it's like the inverse for the Jazz. You're saying the Mavericks would live with Bogdanovich posting up Brunson. Well, the only quick shifty guard we have is Brunson. I think they would live with Brunson, Iso, and Gobert in the same sense. Yeah, it's also risky because the Mavs aren't a great three-point shooting team. Like, Dodo's viable mm -hmm. knocking down those corner threes, but it's not lethal enough 
perhaps mm. to, to to swing it back on me. It's, it's yeah. a it's an outcome the Jazz would live with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. All right. Um, so last question that uh, that we have for you, Bailey, is going to come from Adam. And we're going to stick on that that playoff sort of vibe. Um, Adam, go ahead, man. Yeah, so we, we want to look at Luca's conditioning a little bit. Um, we, we I personally could see last year how exhausted Luca was trying to carry these guys against the Clippers at the end of those games. I could see him slowing down in the fourth quarter because he was out of shape. He's been out of shape having this horrendous diet since he's come into the NBA um and he was carrying a huge load and it was weighing him down and recently we've heard that that stuff's kind of starting to change we hear all Luca eats anymore is chicken rice and vegetables chicken rice and vegetables he's allowed to eat seafood but he doesn't like seafood so he just eats chicken rice and vegetables um so I I want to know if that's really going to be enough to alleviate those problems that they ran into last year is he going to be in good enough shape to just carry this team through the whole thing. I know that the three guard lineups have offered an out to take some of the load off of his shoulders, like we talked about. And yet on the other end of that, Lucas usage is at an all time high. He's at a 37.3% usage rate this year that leads the league at the moment. And that is up from his league leading 36% usage of last year. And even looking more recently, like since the trade, just in the month of February, Luca's usage was all the way up at 41.8%. You have to think when the playoffs come around, he's going to be asked to carry an even bigger load. And I want to know what y'all think. Is, is he going to be able to hold up deep into the fourth quarter of game five, game six, game seven of a, a physical playoff series? Yeah, so I'll touch from last year's playoff series through the summer, through the beginning of this year to where we are today. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. The end of last, the end of the playoff series, when it was getting to, he would erupt for 28 points in the first half, or he'd have a 26 point third quarter. And then the fourth quarter, he'd go one of eight for two points and the Clippers went up winning the game. I do think part of that, him being tired is from him being out of shape, him being a bad diet. But I also, and maybe I am doubling down on the same thing and I'm just thinking of it in a different way. Part of being tired has to be, he was being guarded by two of the best defenders this league possibly has every single possession. And I don't even know if your absolute tip top shape guys would finish fourth quarter strong. If all they got was Paul George. And then when you finally score on Paul George, your reward is Kawhi. And then when you finally score on Kawhi, your reward is a fresh Paul George. So I think that's part of it. But I yeah, do if know I may that... cut you off for if yeah, I go cut ahead. you off for just one second. That's absolutely part of it. And the Clippers are gonna throw that at you more so than anybody else. But that's what superstars have to deal with in the playoffs. I mean, that just is what it is, and you you have to be able to handle that. Yeah, and I, and that's what I was that's where my next point's going is when you look at the lineups that surrounded them last year, it was Maxi Kleber, who I don't know, I don't wanna know. You can look it up for fun on your own he probably shot sub 20% in that playoff series last year. So he was a consistent guy on the floor. Dorian Finney-Smith was a consistent guy who you just said at best is a viable corner three-point shooter. Brunson really wasn't getting big game minutes. Porzingis was a shell of himself. So I think this, that four, that cast of four around him last year allowed the Clippers to not only put their best defender on him, but then pack the paint with the guys that even, even when he was getting past Kawhi, his reward was, 
seven foot one Ivica Zubats who comes from a country where all they do is like punch bears for fun. Like <laughs> that has to be physically taxing every time down. So I know when that series was over, um, the Mavs really wanted him to take the summer off. Mavs fans wanted him to take the summer off and, and he didn't, he played in the Olympics with Slovenia and had a pretty good run for an Olympic team. Got fourth, I think lost in the fourth place, the fourth place match or whatever game. I think I'm not the bronze medal match. Yeah. I'm not a, wasn't, didn't follow him super crazy in the playoffs. I'm still a team USA guy, even though he plays well. And, uh, when he got done with that, he only had like three weeks until uh, OTA started up again. So he had to come right back in. And uh, I know I think the beginning of the, or those three weeks that he took, I think he did absolutely nothing, like zero basketball. I think he even mentioned at one point, like he had went 14 consecutive days without even touching a basketball. Mm-hmm. And when you get to elite body, like for us, three normal guys, right? We take 14 days off of a basketball, we look the same. And an elite body when you take 14 days away from working out, you may add 3% body fat, but when you go from what you were, when you go from 10% to 13%, it looks a lot different than when you go from 30 to 33. (laughs) So I think part of that is what makes him look so out of shape at the beginning of the year. Plus his legs were just tired. Um, So a lot of Mavs fans attribute hit that COVID break that he had to take and then being injured on top of that. It like happened back to back. He like, COVID break, first game back, gets injured, has to take another, like, two-week break, and that allowed him to get his legs back, allowed him to take a rest, take a break from the sport of basketball again while being under supervision of the organization, obviously, being trained, worked with trainers and athletic trainers and personal trainers. And I think that's attributed to him playing at such a high level now. And then now going into these playoff series, it feels like I'm rambling on, um, I think what's going to help him a lot is now that Brunson's confident, it feels like we've circled back to the beginning. Brunson, Dinwiddie, three-guard lineups, Finney Smith being more confident, just hit a buzzer beater like last week, yeah. like stuff that he hasn't done before. Dwight Powell actually being effective in the pick and rolls, and he's always been effective regular season. I think this year with the way the offense is built, being effective, he'll be effective in the postseason. It will take – Maybe not so much of his usage rate down, but instead of him having to pound the rock for 18 seconds to get a bucket, now he can score in six seconds. And when you add up those extra 12 seconds every single time that he's going to take off, I think that's going to be a big deal. So, like, yeah, I bet his usage rate is still super, like you said, it's super high, the highest it's ever been in his life. Um, but the ease of the buckets in that usage rate is so much easier than it was a year ago today. Oh, yeah, he's playing great basketball in that high usage rate. Yeah, yeah. I, I think one thing, it, it feels almost like we kind of buried the lead, like we're now talking about Luca and like minute 37 or whatever it is. Because uh, it, it just, it just he's gotten to the point now where like it's expected of him to average, what is he, 28, 9, and 9. Like it's, it's, really, it's really nuts. Um, yeah, he's almost at Oklahoma City, Westbrook territory like a triple double really isn't a huge deal for him anymore yeah and then and like the thing for me that I've liked um and Adam can attest to this and Bailey you too I've talked to to both of you guys off cam about what I've seen from him this year the the three-point numbers so from 2020 the first year he he made the all-star team he was at 9.2 a game 
last year 8.4 this year 8.2 doesn't sound like a huge drop off you know he's you know that over a course of a season that's like 75 80 less threes or whatever it is but i, I i'd like to see the the two point attempts go up so 2020 11.7 21 12.2 and then this year he's at 13 and a half a game um and, and a lot of those have have be, be, been uh posting up smaller guys and I just always feel like that's his biggest leveraging tool as a scorer. Uh, you touched on it earlier, Bailey. It's just the strength that he'll always have against probably three of the five defenders on the other team. It, it's, it's a real weapon. And then not even as a scorer, but it, it opens up all these different passing angles for him when he's starting with a live dribble from 14 feet as opposed to already putting a dribble down at 35 feet. Um yeah, so there's two things that I think off of that, if I hope that was where you were going. I'm not just interrupting you. Yeah. Um, the first thing is that's why I think, like, do we play the Warriors four times this year and we went three and one against them? Mm-hmm. Is he can do that to guys like Steph. And Steph is a player you'll never play off the floor, right? Like, it doesn't matter if he's giving up a bucket every single time down. The Warriors aren't going to look at Steph and be like, hey, you just don't got it tonight. Come take a seat. Like, no, that's not how it works. Um, but he really punished Steve Kerr for keeping Steph on the floor and not sending that double team that like the Mavs did to Steph in the, in the reverse, right? Like Steve Kerr was okay with this kind of letting Luca get to the post-up and then sending the double. Well, that's too late at that point. Cause like you said, he's too gifted of a passer. And frankly, for the most part, he's too tall for even some of the double teams. Like if you're not sending your power forward center to the double team, it's probably not going to affect his – like he's kind of adapted the Dirk one-legged fade this year to add to those two-point attempts a game. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably not affecting him anyways. Um, and then if you do send the power forward center, he's such a gifted passer, it's just a lob. And then it's back to what I said. If you're not early, you're late, and then we're not going to see you anyways. It's just going to be a dunk. And the second point to that is I kind of feel like he's doing what we begged LeBron to do at the beginning of his career was get in the post more, quit trying to attack people off the dribble for so much from the perimeter and yeah. use your playmaking to your advantage. And by no means am I saying like he's LeBron, but definitely not ever going to say that, um, at least not this early in his career, right? Like who knows where he could go? I mean, he is a very, very special talent, but he his game is a lot like LeBron's if you look at it. He's not quite as physically gifted as LeBron ever was, but he has the best IQ. He has the size. He has the strength. Um, he has the point guard ability in a six, seven, six, eight foot body. Right. So he's just, di- he's doing now what we beg LeBron to do at the beginning of his career. And now that LeBron does it more, you seeing here at age 37, he's dropped two 50 point games because he's doing it more. And I think this one locked Lucas career in the present and will, will allow it to be even longer. It'll unlock the longevity of it as well. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I think those are all sound points. Um, I really like the discussion that we had. I, the last thing I'll say, and, and Adam, we'll start with you. Um, Cause like, like these aren't our primary teams, but we all kind of have a foot into the, what the Mavs do you and me because of proximity. And we really like Luca and watching them play Bailey being the fan. Um, where, where do you think this team is at playoff wise? Cause, cause in my opinion, I think they're one of those teams um, I don't think if everybody is is fully equipped, 
they 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 would be a finals like contender but i've also learned in my time of watching the nba and falling in love with the game that everyone is never all fully equipped and they they fall into the category of me of the next category down which is if a thing or two breaks their way they're perfectly positioned to get to a finals like a team like I might say Phoenix last year. Like I didn't think Phoenix was good enough on their own with everyone fully fit um, to make the finals in the Western Conference. But guess what happened? LeBron or AD went down. That's not any any fault of the Suns. They were perfectly positioned to take advantage of that. Next round, no Jamal Murray, no uh, Michael Porter Jr. after a few games. Not the Suns' fault. Third round, no Kawhi Leonard. Guess what? We don't care. We positioned ourselves to the Western Conference Finals. We made it to the finals and then they got a little bit of the bad luck in the, in the finals, but you know what I mean? They, they, they were in that pool of like, okay, we might not be equipped enough, like with everything on a hundred, but there's never going to be everything on a hundred. So Adam, do you see the Mavs in that sort of similar situation where one break goes their way, two breaks go their way and they're in the finals, or do you think they're a notch below that? That sounds about right. Um, this is not a team that I'm going to say that I expect to make the finals or even make the Western Conference finals more than, more than likely. But, uh, you know, you never know. A couple breaks go your way and, and you could be right there. I will say I will go ahead and put this out there now. I'm calling it this is the year Luka Doncic wins his first playoff series. And then, Bailey, how do you feel, man? Man, I – and maybe it's because it's March and I'm buying into like the, the recency bias and all that. I think the Mavs are as close to like that seven C college basketball team that just, you had no clue about really. And then all of a sudden, boom, they're in the final four. And you're just like, what, like how in the world did you even get here? I really think if everything clicks kind of like UCLA last year, right? Like UCLA, we, mm. we knew it was okay. Right. Like, we all kind of knew Johnny Juzang was smooth, but, like, nobody knew he was that smooth. Um, and yeah. nobody knew that he could quite simply just win game after game after game and get to the game, right, to the Final Four, when really, who knows, Jalen Suggs doesn't bank in a half court. A, he, from half court, they may play in the championship. You know what I'm saying? So, and yeah. the small difference to that is everybody knows who Luca is. They know Luca is the dude. They, for the most part, I mean, really, there's only, like, what, six dudes that are better than him, like, at worst. Like, for the most part, in every series you play in, your Luca's definitely going to be – he's definitely a top-two player on the floor. Some series he'll even be the best player on the floor. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, who's to say if he keeps this play up? I mean, the team continues to play even if you go a tick down, right? Like, maybe not – what did you say in the last 12? We're 9-3? and three? Yeah. So maybe instead of like nine and three, you go eight and four. I mean, even then, that's two playoff series. That's a four-two, four-two, in in the same sense. So I mean, who knows? If they play even a step down, you're telling me they could have won two playoff series. And then at that point, like we've all, at that point, it's just stars, right? Like at that level, when you get to that point, it's all about superstars. And then you're looking at probably your favorites to out of the West or Phoenix, I would say Luca's probably the best player in that series. Fair to say. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you're looking at golden state. Um, 
Luca's not better than Steph, but we're three like one on, against him. He's on eye level. Yeah, he's on. Yeah, he can look at. And him we're three one against him. We obviously match up well against them. You look at. Um, I'm just saying, a player who's better than him, like the Lakers. Like I told you, you the other day, <laughs> like I told you the other day, y'all know y'all are gonna make a little run late, like y'all always do. We won't sneak in there. there. LeBron will go crazy. <laughs> LeBron's better than him, right? But Luca's definitely number two, and there's a good gap in between him and whoever's next, depending on AD's availability. Yeah. He, we and then in the <laughs> wet, and then you, you like still got Denver and Memphis are the yeah, interesting ones you, to look at. You got Jokic who's better, but again, it's like the kind of like the uh, jazz type series where like we'll never play Jokic off the floor but by god he's gonna have to play some sort of defense on Luka and then in, and it'll be in the inverse if we want to play Brunson he's gonna have to face the Jokic post up like that's gonna be a Chester, uh, checkers and chess match and then Memphis I think we're three and one on as well like we just matched up exceptionally well against them uh John Morant has struggled against stronger defenders in his early in his career and Dorian Finney Smith seems to be a defender that's stronger than him and does well against John Morant so we just went through basically the whole playoff field and none of us here can really say there's a team that absolutely would just walk the Mavericks out of the gym Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's what I, I think they're they're in that that second boat where thing or two breaks right Definitely see myself going to a Western Conference final game. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, man, Bailey, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, yeah, man, it's always a else? pleasure, dude. You got anything, Adam? Any less? All good. No sir. All right, thank you guys for listening. If you made it this far, uh, that was our deep dive on the Dallas Mavericks. A little alliteration for you there as we wrap up, and uh, we'll be back soon. And uh, hope you guys join us for the next one.